<laughs> we live in an age of rage. And we see it in reflective in the cultural music, and our expressions say it all too. You know, that makes me so mad. I, or, or I can't stand that person. And, and we, we live in this age of rage, and our, our anger has far-reaching characteristics. And it's a, it's a, let's be honest, our anger is a frequent guest in our homes, in our job, and I'd even go so far as in our churches. You know, our anger actually rides with us in our cars almost every day, right? Like, why don't you just get out of the way, or Winnipeg drivers and the lack of turning signals, or merge lanes. And we live in a time where if you don't like what someone's done to you, what do we do? You pull out a gun and you shoot them, or you stab them with a the knife, or you blow them up with letter bombs. You know, and with so much anger out, out there, how can we keep it out of our own life? And I look at it in the sense that anger is an emotion that has many different physical manifestations. If you think about it, our blood pressure goes up, we clench our fists, our mouths get dry, our muscles tighten up. Sometimes there's an adrenaline rush and we either get ready to flee or fight. And uh, we do with, what we do with anger actually tells us a lot about ourselves and who we are. And I think it's safely to say that each and every one of us here today uh, has experienced the damaging effects of anger. You know, maybe words that have been spoken towards us in anger have, you know, and we, we've suffered deeply and wounded deeply. Or maybe there's certain actions that have been carried out against us in anger that have affected us. And I think we all know just how destructive anger can be. And uh, listing it as one of the seven deadly sins should actually be no surprise for any of us. We know that anger is destructive and can be destructive. And in many instances... People actually express pride in their anger, you know. You know, I'm usually an easygoing person, and, but watch out when I get angry. You know, it's almost a prideful thing. And, and, you know, again, we are created with emotion. And I may, I just add that there aren't any bad emotions. There's just emotions gone bad. You know, anger is a proper human emotion. It's a defense mechanism. It has both a good side and a very dark side. Look at Scripture. We see that God himself gets angry. You know, how can that be? You know, we need to understand that at its root, anger is a mechanism actually for detecting injustice. It's a natural response that when you know right but you see wrong, you get angry. That's natural. That's just hardwired into us. It's a good, holy passion. We're wired to see justice done. We're wired to see injustice stopped. That's who we are. And when we become angry at the injustices in our society, and we should try to diligently work to correct them, and that's when we can take our anger and we begin to use it in a very positive manner. You know, case in point would go back to the 18th century England, 19th century America, and the abolishment of slavery. Or let's bring it up to speed. What's going on in Syria and Iraq? Or in Africa with the warlords who rape women and kidnap children? Or the systematic uh, racism which still locks minorities in poverty all over the world? Or should I say the abuse of women and their object? objectification and pornography and 
Also, the abuse of the sexual and physical abuse of children. Look at if these things don't make you angry, then either you haven't really looked at the issues or you have no heart at all, Mr. Tin Man. So, if anger is the right response to these things, why is it a deadly sin? And so like many of the other capital vices, anger has the ability to poison us from the inside out. And sometimes anger is the appropriate response, but it's sinful when it's excessive or misdirected. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity that we can gather today and look at your scripture. And so we sit here before you and ask that you to open our hearts, our ears, our minds to what you would have to say to the deepest recesses of our hearts. And so God, if you are speaking to us, may we be receptive to your voice. And I just pray that everything thought and everything spoken and everything felt would be blessed by you. You know, if we're, we're going to be honest, the Bible has many illustrations about the proper uses of anger. Uh, we have a term that we call, it's called righteous indignation, and we see that all the time. Moses was an example of this when he returned from Mount Sinai, and he comes down, and he catches the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. He just has got these brand new Ten Commandments, and he's carrying them down, and he sees these guys just going crazy and worshiping the calf. And what does he do? He has this moment. He has a moment, and he smashes the Ten Commandments. Righteous indignation. And he scolds the children of Israel. And then we see Jesus. He has his righteous indignation when, you know, he walks into the temple and uh, he sees the money changers in the temple. And basically what they did is they turned it into a Walmart. And he flips out and uh, he becomes angry. But it's interesting. His anger is not directed at the hurting people, but at the wrong things that they had done in God's name. And so Jesus is angry because the people had violated God and his anger is an expression of God's, uh, of God's anger. And as we go through scripture, we see that God gets angry. You know, the verses up here, you know, start looking at it. You see the trend. I made it as easy as possible for you. You know, God himself is slow to anger. Anger can be used as a positive means of overcoming sin and its effects. God's always angry towards sin, but at the same time, he remains loving, he remains compassionate, he remains gracious and merciful towards a sinner. So sin in all of its forms should actually make any Christian, any disciple of Jesus, angry. But we've got to remain compassionate and loving at the same time towards the sinners. And when it comes to the seven deadly sins... You know, anger really doesn't describe the word that we're looking for or that I'm actually comfortable talking about. I like the word wrath. I, I think that that best exemplifies it all, wrath. Not just anger, but wrath. Wrath is much more stronger than anger. This, this is a, an emotion that has this desire to seek revenge. You know, the desire to hurt someone, that's wrath. And it differs from anger in that it's deeper. There's this desire when we have wrath in us to cause pain. Where anger is more of the sudden burst maybe of rebellion that actually sort of loses its edge or calms down over time. But wrath, you know, that's different. That's, that's a deep longing for us to see punishment exacted on somebody else. You know, if we look into Psalm 3, we see David articulating this really well. 
You know, his son Absalom has just led a rebellion and they've removed David from the throne and now Absalom is chasing David and he's trying to kill him. This is a son trying to kill his dad. David's in mid-flight and he's hiding. And it's interesting because as you read the Psalms, you see that the guy's in mid-flight, but he has time to stop and to write a poem. So in Psalm 3, this is what we find. And it says this, Lord, how many are of our foes? So here's David writing. How many of our foes, how many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep, and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. And then this part. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. And from the Lord comes deliverance. And may your blessing be upon your people. You know, these psalms are not the kind that we sing on Sunday morning. We don't come here and sing, hey, strike the teeth and break the teeth of the wicked. We don't sing that. But what we have is something coming out of raw emotion here in Psalm 3. Go to Psalm uh, 137. And before that, I just need to say, this is a dad wanting to punch his kid's teeth in. Now, if that doesn't make you uncomfortable, then let's do one, Psalm 137. Here are the Babylonians, the history behind it. You can do your own work on this. The history behind it, the Babylonians have come into Israel. They've overtaken them. They're just brutal, absolutely brutal. And they've taken a whole bunch of Israelites back to Babylon. And now you have this psalm. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when they remembered Zion. So now they're in Babylon. They're remembering Zion. They're remembering Jerusalem. There on the poplars, we hung our harps for their our captors asked us to sing for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. Okay, so they're, they're, they're captive, they're slaves. Sing us happy songs is what's being said to them. Sing us one of those songs of Zion. And then the, the reflection is how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? We're not even home. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. In other words, if I forget, I just hope I can never play again. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you. I just don't want to sing again. If I don't consider Jerusalem my highest joy, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell, tear it down, they cried, tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Now their, their, their anger is going towards Babylon. And then it says this, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Well, you read this and, and you think, well, that's why there's a lot of people who think that God is not only archaic, but also very violent. Why would a loving God do this? You know, we're talking about infants and babies, and are we happy about smashing them against the rocks? Well, you know, what kind of person is capable of writing like this? Well, let me ask you this question. If somebody took your son or your daughter and smashed them on a rock, what would you want done to them? And see, that's what's being said here in this psalm. Here we have this rawness of emotion coming through. And it's, you know, what's being said here is what you did to us, I want done to you. 
And the Babylonians, as I said, were known to be just vicious people. And it's quite possible that the psalmist here is articulating the feelings of vengeance because of, listen to me carefully, of what they have already been through. You did this to my kid. I want you to know how it feels. And you think about it. it you know, none of us have ever been taught revenge, have we? Like your parents or, or caregivers have never looked at that. Okay, this is how you do revenge in life and at school, okay? This is what you know. It's natural. It's hardwired within us. We want revenge when we are sinned against. And, you know, yet as I keep reading the Bible, Proverbs tells us only a fool gives vent to his anger. A wise man uses self-control. And so people who identify as followers of Jesus Christ should seriously consider the claim that James makes in his letter. And he simply states that anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God, God desires. And those of us who, who fly off the handle easily are, are tempted to stress the point, usually by our volume, right? You know, our volume increases, our voice increases, and, you know, we, our posture increases, and we start to allow anger to control us rather than controlling our anger. And when that happens, I think we've got to take a step back and, and ponder the effect of the relationship that we have between us and God, but also the relationship with others around. See, it's simple when our anger becomes vindictive. It's simple when our anger becomes resentful and seeks to punish and to mistreat and to hurt and to get revenge on the person who's wronged us. You know, the New Testament in James 1.9 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And of course, in Ephesians, there's this command that says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. You know, I always thought growing up that a Christian wasn't supposed to get angry, right? Like, we're Christians, we don't get angry. And so, you know, you're always, I don't know about you, but you're always at the end of torment. And you're, oh, you're not supposed to get angry or you're not a good Christian. We're supposed to be peaceful in all ways, right? And the most common way for Christians to deal with our anger is that we deny it, right? We're not angry. Uh, I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm a Christian. I'm so naturally, I'm not angry. I'm not supposed to get angry. Um, I'm concerned. That's what I am. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm hurt. Um, I'm disappointed. I'm a wee bit upset, just, but I'm not angry. And yet, when I take a look at this verse, it actually says there's a time and place to be angry. So anger can be defined as a strong feeling of displeasure. I like that. And usually of antagonism. In the major Old Testament words, when you did the study and you break them down, they use the word for nostrils when it comes to anger. And so anger is revealed by the appearance of nostrils or <laughs> heavy breathing. And so there are also two primary New Testament words that are referring to the, now, referring to the agitation of the soul, which is interesting. Impulse desire, right? A violent emotion. And, and the other one is to rouse to wrath. So there's this agitation of the soul. And then the rouse to wrath. To, to provoke. All right, you see that? Or to exasperate. Huh. And it's interesting that God actually tells us to get rid of both. But the strange thing is that in this very same context... He says, be angry. And again, when it says be angry in the, the, the breakdown, the imperative text, it, it, it should not 
just be reading when you're angry or when angry do not sin, but literally it, it reads, be angry. And the fact is, God gets angry about things. We don't like to hear that. And I'll go so far as that we as Christians need to be angry about things too. But one of the biggest problems in the church today is the lack of proper anger. We tolerate what we should be angry at, and we get angry at what we should be tolerating. I love Mar Marvin Martian. I'm so angry. If you're a Bugs Bunny groupie, you know what I'm talking about. We tolerate what we should be angry at, and we get angry at what we should tolerate. Huh. Ephesians 4, God gives us a different way of looking at anger. And so in instead of dismissing anger as evil, Paul tells us that anger can be actually a good and healthy emotion. So the question is, is when was the last time that you were mad about sin? When was the last time you were mad? When was the last time you read the news and, or you listened to the news and you actually got angry? You know, when injustice is done in our world, you know, I believe it's good for us to, to become angry and, and, and demand that injustice stops. I think we can't allow ourselves to be angry about things that are not about God's glory, but this is what we do. We get focused on these small things. Last night I had the opportunity to watch The Big Short, and you cannot help that watch that movie without being angry at the corruption and that greed and that craziness. So anger, you know what, is a normal emotion. God created anger for a, a good purpose. I mean, Jesus gave us an example. There was, there was a needy man in the synagogue, and you know, he had a paralyzed hand, which Jesus could heal, obviously. And the, the Pharisees are watching Jesus, and they're hoping that he's going to make a mistake. Oh, let's hope that he actually heals the man so that we can charge him for breaking the Sabbath rule. And he looked around at them and in anger, that says Scripture. He says, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand is completely restored. And in the scriptures, what we see is that Jesus is more angry with the hypocrisy and the man-made religious rules uh, being more important than showing mercy to a person in need. And so he did the loving and the caring thing, and he healed that man. And even though it was contrary to the rules, that kind of cold, calculated insensitivity, which sort of masquerades a spirituality, ought, ought to make us angry too. As should evil and injustice and of, of every description. And that's God's kind of anger. That's that righteous anger. You know, Jesus was able to keep God as his first priority, even when he was bugged, even when he was angry. Our problem is, is that we seldom become angry for the right motives. You know, human anger tends to be self-motivated rather than God-motivated. Human anger tends to, you know, we, we become angry when, when someone does something that hurts us or hurts somebody we love. And so human anger is then generally uh, an offensive weapon we use to defend our pride. And as a result, anger is kind of like fire, and if the fire is controlled, it's something that can be helpful, right? It can be productive, but if the fire gets out of control, it can be incredibly harmful and dead, deadly. 
And, and again, anger is a natural emotion we're created, but we got to be careful how we use it because if we're not, we, it will have devastating effects in our lives. So how well do you respond to anger? How, how well do you keep from getting your anger from going out of control? I, I kind of think that God has designed anger as a flashing yellow light, sort of like this warning light to get our attention. You know, that says, hey, the light's going off. You better proceed with caution at this point, you know. Proceed with caution. Trouble's near. And so when that light comes on, you don't ignore it. You know, don't think that it's just going to go away. It's bringing it to your attention. And so, you know, here we see that anger is, is part of who we are. But I think the most important thing is that when it comes to anger, it's something that we need to resolve. You know, anger can be a healthy emotion. It's just not designed to be a permanent emotion. You know, Jesus comes into the temple. He sees what's going on. He flips the tables, pulls out the whip, you know, <laughs> goes after the money changers, but he doesn't remain angry at all. Because right after the event, he doesn't dwell on what happened. He doesn't sit there and stew, maybe like you and me. He didn't allow his anger uh, with the people to impact his love for the people. Look, look how Matthew goes off and he continues the story. He says the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed him. So he just finishes clearing it out. So he's not this angry guy that people are afraid of and running from. Well, maybe the money changers are, but people still were drawn to him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get angry, my anger can get the best of me. It can ruin my entire day. And it can cause me to be a person I do not want to be. Huh. Because sometimes my anger causes me to say things I didn't want to say. Anybody, you know, identify with that? But when Jesus becomes angry, he remains to be the same person. He doesn't lose control. His, his anger doesn't have a negative impact on his character. His anger doesn't cause him to say the wrong things. He, he, he goes from anger to mercy in the same day, same hour, same moment. His anger is motivated by his love for people and never became a vehicle for harboring resentment towards people. But having unresolved anger in our lives is an open invitation to evil. And when anger gets a foothold of our lives, we are more susceptible to do things you wouldn't normally do. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. What do you do? You speed up and you chase them, right? I'm gonna, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to follow them. We do things that we don't normally do. We do stupid stuff. It's crazy. You know, unresolved anger makes us more aware of what we want and less concerned about what's right or best for others. It's about what I want. I want vengeance. And when anger gets a hold of our life, we're prone to doing things that we're going to later regret. So you chase somebody down the street and you go after them. And you, you know what? You're going to cut them off and cause an accident? And then what? Right? But I do say that God wants us to be angry, but... He wants us to be angry over the right issues at the right time, in the right way. 
And if we're honest, we would probably admit that, you know, less than probably 2% of our, our anger, you know, is righteous anger, and the other 98% is probably sinful anger. Because anger actually can limit how God can use us, if you think about it. And anger actually limits us from being the person that God has actually designed us to be. Scripture says, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. See, the biggest danger is that unresolved anger issues, it leads to bitterness. Because if somebody sins against you, if somebody hurts you, you know, you have two options. You can either forgive them or you can become bitter. I don't see any of the other two options. And bitterness also appears when we, hear me carefully, bitterness appears when we think somebody may have sinned against us in one way, shape, or form or another. You know, in life, people can be bitter against each other without any real reason or justification. It's crazy. You know, you may wonder why somebody's so mad when you hear, well, you know, you said this, and you sit back and you go, I never said that. You know, this is one of the reasons why I, I, I preach word for word. I stick to my notes so that when that somebody says, well, you said this, I can go, I never said that. It's amazing what people hear me say on a Sunday morning or think they heard me say. So their bitterness is what they thought you may have said. It's, it's interesting, our human psyche. Sometimes their bitterness comes out of a, a misunderstanding or a misperception. You know, we're upset if, if somebody is upset with us for something that wasn't even said or done, but it was thought of. It, I thought they said it. I thought they did it. Well, did they? Well, I thought they did. And so our, our bitterness sometimes in, in our lives can be because of sin or what we are known as, as perceived sin. We think, we think. The problem is we think stupid. And many a person has allowed bitterness into their life, if you think about it, which has always led to sin. And so what happens is that people hold grudges over other people, and, and we want to get revenge, don't we? And we want to see other people suffer and so on. And listen, that separates us from God because it's not consistent with his character of forgiveness. And bitterness begins when we don't even speak truthfully to others about who we're angry with. Or we give people the silent treatment. Oh my goodness. Or we speak about them, right? Rather than to them. And so what happens is bitterness grows over time, which is why God tells us to deal with anger before the day is over. Before the day is done, deal with it. But bitterness is when we choose. We make this choice deep down inside not to forgive somebody, but living according to our old self rather than forgiving them and putting on the new self as believers as what we should be doing. And bitterness is always our reaction to the action of another person. If I sin against you, if I offend you, you know, I should become convicted, but if you sin against me, sometimes I become bitter. Unless, unless I forgive you. And again, I said somebody can become bitter simply because they perceive or they imagine that they have been sinned against. Whether or not that's, that scenario actually corresponds with reality, it's going on in the theater of their mind because bitterness can also occur simply because of pride 
we have pride issues or we're jealous whereby, you know, you have envy and somebody else becomes bitter. And this is what James calls, you know, look, we got to get rid of bitter envy and selfish ambition. And we'll deal with envy in a couple of weeks. So, you know, I'm sitting here writing this and I have to always ask the questions. What are the reflective questions? Well, you know, how can you tell if you're, you're a bitter person? You know, do you continually replay a negative past event in your mind with great detail and with great dislike for the person or persons involved? You know, do you find yourself continually referring to to someone in a negative fashion because of a past hurt? You know, do you intentionally avoid certain people because you find yourself become continually annoyed and, and angry in their presence? You just want to slap the smile off their face. You find that your dislike of somebody is growing over time. Because eventually our bitterness seeps out of us through our mouths because it's through our words that our heart is revealed. And when we are bitter, we speak in unwholesome words. And we say things that are never intended to help and to build up people that we're speaking about or the people that we're gossiping to, right? And ultimately what we say and how we say it and who we say it to grieves God because it's coming out in the form of bitterness. So who are you most likely to be bitter against if you think about it? You know, what we understand is that bitterness in itself is really unrelated to the magnitude of a sin. Instead, bitterness is actually more correlated uh, to the emotional proximity of the offender. In other words, if a stranger sins against you in a big way, you are not likely to get bitter. You, you, you may get annoyed, you may be upset, obviously, you may be frustrated, but if a beloved family member or a friend sins against you in a little way, you are more likely to become bitter because you have opened your heart to them and you have high expectations of the relationship you have with them and with you. Strangers don't let you down. You know, they can, you know strangers don't really disappoint you. They don't really break your heart, do they? they, they but friends and family do. People that you work close to. And therefore, those who you love are probably the most likely candidates uh, for bitterness. It could be your mom or dad. It could be your son or daughter. It could be your brother or your sister. It could be your husband wife. It could be your ex-husband. It could be your ex-wife. It could be your friend. It could be your pastor. It could be your co-workers. It could be your roommates. It could be your boyfriends, girlfriends, ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends. The list goes on. And this even extends to God. This is a crazy thing. Because many people are just bitter against God. And if you think about it, if I'm bitter against God, then it's really a subtle way of me saying that God has sinned against me. So who's responsible for your bitterness? 
I think one of the enemy's lies is that bitterness is caused by the sins of somebody else. Somebody else is the problem. And in fact, bitterness is really caused by the condition of our own hearts. Because you and I are responsible for our own bitterness. It's not as if, you know, we're all okay and then someone sins against us and then we're filled with bitterness. It doesn't work that way. This is because our lives, out of our lives, our flow out of the condition of our hearts. What's your heart like? And when, when people sin against us, they're already just exposing the contents in your heart. They're, they're not placing new contents there. They're just exposing what's in there. And so what comes out of you is actually an indication of what's inside of you. And, and if there's bitterness, that is flowing out of you, that's a good indication that bitterness is in there. Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary, she wrote this. She said, for a cup brimful of sweet water cannot spill even one drop of bitter water, however suddenly jolted. And you see that the jolt doesn't change the water. If you spill a glass of sweet water, sweet water comes out. That's just the way. If you spill a glass of bitter water, well, then bitter water comes out. The jolt only brings out of the container, what's already there? So here, elbow the person next to you right now. Go ahead, elbow them. Just give it to them. No, 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 no. I said elbow. No forearm smashes, please. Yeah, we got some, some good stuff going on there. Okay, so what comes out? What comes out when somebody elbows you? What, what comes out when somebody hits you unexpectedly? What, what happens, you know, if you're filled with sweetness, only sweetness will come out. Oh, stop it, dear. But if you're filled with bitterness, think about it, and you're jolted, your bitterness is going to come out. It's not the fault of the person who jolted you. And, and, and the question is not, can I prevent myself from being jolted, right? Since we all, you know, <laughs> you know we want to do that, but that's not life. Life means we're going to get hit one side of it. But what, what is inside? What's inside that's going to come out? You know, people are going to say and do things that are going to harm you, that are going to injure you, that are going to disappoint you. That's just the way it is. We are going to get bumped in life. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, and where it comes from. We all get bumped in life. What's going to come out? You know, bitter people infect their relational networks with their sickness. You know, we all know some angry old people, don't we? And old is a metaphor, not an actual age because John Evans isn't here anymore. We all know people who infect the relational networks with gossip, divisive speech, with their conduct. And I'm not just talking at home. I'm not just talking at uh, the workplace I'm, or at any sport. You know, I'm talking even in the church. And it's therefore imperative that every believer, everybody who calls themselves a follower of Christ, begin to take it upon themselves, the responsibility to go and to dig up those roots, to address those things that are coming out of people, both the seen and unseen, and, and take life and nourishment from the church. Because this is supposed to be, and again, we say this over and over again, this is a place of refuge, repair, and rejuvenation. Hebrews 12 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, nobody's going to see the Lord. See to it, though, that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, the, the key to dealing with all this stuff is found in Ephesians chapter 4. 
You know, Paul writes, he says, put away from all you... uh, from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And he says, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators as God, as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And I think the issue, the call to the church, to believers, is that we've got to repent of our anger. We've got to repent of our wrath and our malice and allow the Holy Spirit to empower us, what? To be kind-hearted. And forgiving those who have wronged us and hurt us. You know, the, the crazy thing is, though, is that some of us are so conditioned all the time to respond negatively, right? It's learned behavior. Something happens, we get jolted, we respond negatively. It's, it's, it's kind of like riding a bike, and I got a bike down here for you to see. And, the, you know, when you were a kid, most of us probably learned to ride a bike when we were a kid. In fact, you know, we got to that point, that exciting point of graduating from a, a kid's bike to an adult bike, a big boy bike, a big girl bike. You know, we made it, it was a celebration. And you got to ride, and when you started to ride, it was there. It just came. It took a little while to get it at first, but then it became, and it was just natural. And then you could actually put your bike down, not touch it for a week, and get on it, no problem. Put it down for a month, get on it, no problem. Put it down for a year, get back on it, no problem. It's just the way we are. It's the way we're wired. It's the way we make it work. You'll just never forget. And I'll venture to say that sometimes our behavioral responses is exactly the same way. We react like riding a bike. We're hardwired. It's built into us. And when you hear messages like this, you know, part of us says, well, you know, I want to change my reactions, if I'm to be honest with you, Jerry. But, you know, over time I've learned maybe the wrong ways. I've learned the wrong responses. And, you know, Jerry, you know, I've tried to, I've tried to change. You've heard this, right? I've tried to change, but it's difficult. I've tried. It's just who I am. And trying to, you know, unlearn those responses is difficult. And for some of us, we get to the point where we just give up. I've tried. I'm just going to give up. It's impossible. But I'll present to you today that I believe it's, it is possible. It will take time and effort to unlearn the wrong ways, but it is possible to change, much like this bike right here. Now, what if I presented to you today that I have a bike here that you cannot ride. Do I have any volunteers that would like to ride this bike? Come on. Five bucks. If you can ride this bike. 20 feet, okay? You on it? Just hang on, hang on. Just hang on. Straight line, right to me. I'm ready. No, 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 no. Ride the bike. No, 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 no. Come on. Yeah. Is five bucks not enough for you? I got 20. I got $20 right here. You can ride that bike in a straight line. No, come on. Seriously, $20. And knock, okay. I'd say knock yourself out, but that, cause that's an actual possibility. So, I, 20, okay, Rob, Rob, stop, stop. Back up a bit. I'll give you 50. 
You can do it. <laughs> 50 bucks, buddy. Come on. Here, look. Huh? <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. This, is, this will be my last offer. I'll give you $100. I got $100. You can give me 20, 20 feet. This is all I'm asking. This is, we're, we're doing the going once, going twice. This is all we're doing, man. That could, that, that's more than lunch. Uh, that's Ikea over and over again right here. Okay, all right, one more time. Let's see. <laughs> oh, you're giving up. <laughs> see, because you were wired to ride a bike. Thank you for trying. You were wired to ride a bike that when you turn right, the wheel turns right. And when you turn left, the wheel turns left. This one is opposite. Is it impossible to ride this bike? The answer is no. It is possible to ride the bike. The guy who's did it, he's on YouTube. It took him eight months for him to figure out how to ride that bike. But once he did, he couldn't go back to a normal bike. And so what he's saying is that we have learned behaviors that we hold on to. And most of us give it up and say, look, I can't change. I just can't change. But in reality, when we take the time, we can change. Riding a bike is, you know, again, how we respond a lot to our negative emotions. We, we feel that we can't change. This is the way I'm wired, Jerry. I, these are my excuses. It's natural. It's the way I am. But in reality, it may take you months. It took this guy eight months to learn how to ride that bike. Took his six-year-old son two weeks. That talks about the, the, uh, the plasticity of the brain and how we can rewire our brain. The only thing is, and, and I, loved, I loved your expression, you had to work at it. And you were, it was beautiful because you're getting frustrated. Hopefully you weren't getting bitter at me because I'm mocking you with money. Uh, but, uh, you know, watching your frustration. We had this upstairs and, you know, putting the staff on it. And even myself, and, and I, did, I did find a little cheat. Now, I haven't done the cheat because I just found it last night. But there is a cheat to get this bike going. Um, but really, all we have to do is still work at it. Right? So don't misunderstand me. We need to work at our responses. You know, we have misunderstandings with people and we need to learn how to move on and, and take those misunderstandings and turn them into relationships. But unfortunately, a lot of us, with, with the way that we handle our emotions and our negative display of our emotions, we just default and say, well, that's just the way I am and I'm never going to change, when in reality, yeah, you can change, but it's going to take some time. It's going to take a whole lot of work and a whole lot of effort. And it may take some baby steps, but little by little, you'll be getting further and further ahead. The problem is, in our microwave culture, we want to be, have our instantaneous change. We want to be changed in 24 hours or less. And that's not a reality. So what's a healthy alternative to wrath? You know, uh, my first one would have been, well, you know, anger, wrath is, you know, is emotion out of control, so it should be self-control. But I also have to go a little bit further and think, no, I don't think that that's the healthy alternative. I think our healthy alternative to anger and wrath is kindness. And so kindness now becomes this virtue that stands in opposition to anger. And while anger seeks to control others, doesn't it? And it seeks to harm them. If you think about it, the, the goal of, of, of kindness really is to serve and to demonstrate love and respect. And kindness also is one of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
In, in other words, kindness is not something that we just sort of conjure up in our lives. No, not at all. It's a part of the abundant life that is ours because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That part is already in our DNA as believers, but that part of kindness, kindness needs to be nurtured in our life. It, it needs to be grown, and we need to look to the Holy Spirit to be the one who nurtures and grows kindness in our life so that we rethink the way that we respond to people around us that make us angry and mad. You know, again, kindness is more than just obeying the letter of the law. We saw that exemplified by Jesus in, in the synagogue. And, you know, making sure, though, that we were treating others uh, that, that in, in a manner that's benefiting them. It's not all about us. And kindness is this creative expression of love that's guided by the Holy Spirit. And it, it comes in both a, a sensitive moment where he, he speaks in our lives and he helps us to see and to focus on the needs of others. In a world that's just, like I said, marked by anger, age of rage, we need kindness. And it is kindness that stands out as a shining light. It is kindness that stands out as a powerful witness to the love of God and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Kindness. Scripture says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ God forgave you. we got to be kind and compassionate to each other in the church. And outside the church. And when bitterness goes away, compassion is that one thing that comes in to replace it. And Paul reminds his readers of the cost of, that Jesus paid for each of us. And he gave everything for us. And he laid down his life and, and died for our sins. And because he was willing to do this, our sin has been forgiven by God the Father. So if Jesus was willing to do this for you, then, you know, why are you not willing to then be kind and compassionate towards others, and especially those who don't deserve it? Finally, we're called to be imitators of God. Well, how do we do this? You know, if, if, if God's your father, then, he, then we need to begin to act like his kids. It's the forgiveness of Jesus that really makes us his children. And basically, it all begins and it all ends with forgiveness. And in order for you and I to come close to God, you, we may have to lay down and sacrifice and, and take it and say, God, I'm sorry. So whenever I put my messages together, I always try to put myself in the seat and, and think of questions that would be asked. So, Jerry, do, do I have to make amends with those who have caused me to be bitter? That's a great question. Perhaps you should. I think your forgiveness is the beginning of reconciliation, and that, that seems really costly, but it has to start with you. Or maybe you're saying, you know, Jerry, if I have to be honest, I have an angry heart. You know, Jerry, I'm just prone to outbursts. I'm prone to withdrawals. I'm prone to, to pouting. I'm prone to all those things. I, so if I have to be honest with you, Jerry, just, you know, I, I really have an angry heart. Hmm. You ever notice that in public, people have no problem getting angry? So here's, here's what I'm going to ask. If you're a person and you can identify as, because remember, I've always prayed that, that 
the series of the seven deadly sins would, would trigger something, that something would ting our hearts. And, and maybe I said something that hit you in the heart. And maybe you consider yourself not, you know, I'm an angry person. I have an angry heart. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? We had more angry people in the first gathering. We had hands go up all over the place. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. Maybe you wanted to, but here's my second question. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh man, I've got to have a conversation with somebody this week who I know is angry with me. I know we're on the outs, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to have that conversation. Jerry, I'm not looking forward to it. If, if that's you, would you put up your hand? Thank you. Yep, you can put them down. Okay, so hear me out. We have a real shot this week at becoming more and more like Christ. Here's how we're going to end. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back here. Now, if you raised your hand and you said, you know, Jerry, I'm an angry person or I have an angry heart, or Jerry, I, I, I need to have a conversation with somebody that's angry with me, uh, this is what we're going to do. We've asked our prayer team to stay, and they're going to the crosses, and they're going to be there. And it's a good thing to let other people know what's going on in your heart because you need that support. And so as our prayer team moves back to the crosses, if you're going to have to work at some reconciliation this week, if you're going to have to deal with rethinking and responding the way that you respond, then I want to encourage you to tell somebody so that you can have some sort of accountability and actually you know, follow through because the conviction that you feel right now as I'm speaking will begin to wane as soon as the music starts and you walk out through the doors and you go into the parking lot. And by the time you get home, it won't feel near like what it feels right now. And you're going to need to tell someone. put this in quotes, I need to do this to be obedient to the word of God, to reflect all the more clearly the glory of Christ in my life, in our church, and in those around me. I'm going to pray, and there are men and women who are willing to pray with you right now, and I want to put the onus on you to go to the crosses and to be prayed for if you want to. But I'm just saying this, if you put your hand up, please go. We don't care. Oh, look at the going for the cross. We don't care. As a matter of fact, we celebrate that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and showing us what we need to do and how we need to respond. I will say that there is no healing for deep-seated anger outside of Jesus Christ. So maybe some of you for the first time just need to put your faith in Christ and you need to have him work in those areas. So as I begin to pray and you want to move out, just do that. The band will then, when I say amen, is going to lead us in a song because we're not quite done yet. And let's just allow the Holy Spirit just to begin to work in our lives. Father, thank you for these men and women, and thank you that you heal our hearts. 
Father, thank you that you are not bitter with us, but rather you come to take away our sin. And we receive that from you in trust, in faith, and in grace. And thank you, God. God, my first part of my prayer is just help us keep our mouths shut. You know, we all get into moods and soon enough we're mouthing off and we're hurting the, the ones that we love and care about the most. You know, we do things we know that are wrong and, and at times we make a mess out of our own lives and then at times we make a mess out of the lives of others who are close to us as well. And the worst part is, is that we knew it would happen. And we know that when we choose these crazy paths that we would end up hurting others as well. So God, today, here we are knowing that we deserve the worst, but we're asking for your help in forgiving others that make us mad and that make us bitter. And we're asking that in your gracious way, God, that you would send us peace. I want to invite all of you just to put your hands up as a sign of surrender to receive from God. Blow a gentle breeze our way, cooling our burning heads and hearts and thoughts, God. Calm us, Father, and soothe us, and then give us the strength to do what I can to fix the messes I've made and to release that which we cannot fix. For some of us, our anger, our bitterness, our jadedness is not birthed out of simple insults or a simple argument. Some of us have been wounded so deeply and we stand with our hands open. Some have abused so severely and they carry a deep amount of hurt. And so, Father, we pray. We pray for your healing touch upon these open hands and that you would help us to trust your justice that you would help us to trust your resolve to make sure that either grace is extended or judgment is handed out and that we can trust you to be our savior, to be our friend, and to be for us. It's through your beautiful name that we pray this. Amen. Great. What have you done? Murdered for me on that cross. Accused in absence of wrong. My sin washed away in your blood. Too much to make sense of it all. That your love breaks my fall The scandal of grace You died in my place So my soul will Oh, to be like Give all I have just to know is no one beside you forever the hope in my heart and death where is your sting your power is as dead as my sin the cross is taught me 
extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here it is. So sanctuary, may God give you the hindsight to know where you've been. And may God give you the foresight to know where you're going. And finally, may God give you the insight to know when you have gone too far. Oh, be blessed. Have peace. And we'll see you next week.